But let's turn around and say, let's talk about your scalability. How can we make that stupid? Yeah. How can we make this goal something ridiculous? Now, all of a sudden, you smile and you become a child and you gamify and you create. So we used to have a saying, the actual title of this book, Go For Stupid, was something that we used to use in my old concierge firm when I used to work with billionaires, you know, with Bocelli and Elton John, all these kind of things. People would give us a request. They never, ever gave us a request that we actually completed on. It was the starter. And we used to go, okay, this guy wants an amazing dining experience in Florence. How can we make that stupid? Hey, this is a quick shout out from one of our awesome sponsors. Check this out. Thank you to Tracy down at Tranquil Turn Massage in downtown Coeur d'Alene. Look, my wife and I, we see Tracy and her team every single month for a couple's massage, and it is the best thing. Tracy is a master massage specialist and a Hanu Ashiatsu trainer. You need to reach out to Tracy and her team. Make sure that you tell them that I sent you, and you'll get 25 bucks off your next massage. Also, while you're there, check out CDA Brows, Body, and Ink. Make sure to tell Tracy that I sent you, and you'll save 100 bucks on your next tattoo brows and plasma tightening services. <laughs> Steve, you're a husband, you're a father, entrepreneur, speaker, coach, podcaster, author of multiple books, including Blue Fishing, and your newest book, Go For Stupid. Thank you so much for your time, man. It's awesome to have you back on the show. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks. I want to get right into your book, Go For Stupid, The Art of Achieving Ridiculous Goals. This is such a great book. Dude, I, I listened to the whole book just last week, man, and it was I was loving it. I was taking down so many notes, man. It's so good. What does go for stupid mean? And what's that journey you're taking readers through here? Well, I've got, I've, well first of all, I've got to say, this is my second book and I never, ever wanted to write a second book. And my God, I never want to write a third. Anyone that's ever wrote a book knows that it's, it's a tough, tough, tough process. It ain't easy. Um, so once I've done my first book, I was done. I was like, thank you very much. Never doing it again. Um, but we used to have a saying, actually, I'm going to answer your question slightly different and I'm going to use you as an example. Please. Let's, like, let's say, for argument's sake, Eric, that um, you're talking to me about your business goals, your relationship goals, your expansion, your scalability, something like that. And we stand there and go, yes, Eric, we're going to do this. Let's break through the impossible. Let's make the impossible possible. Remember, impossible stands for I'm possible. Well, you get all gritty, don't you? It's like yeah. you're going into battle. You get all rigid and rigid shit breaks. But let's turn around and say, let's talk about your scalability. How can we make that stupid? Yeah. How can we make this goal something ridiculous? Now, all of a sudden, you smile and you become a child and you gamify and you create. So we used to have a saying, the actual title of this book, Go For Stupid, was something that we used to use in my old concierge firm when I used to work with billionaires, you know, with Bocelli and Elton John, all these kind of things. People would give us a request. They never, ever gave us a request that we actually completed on. It was the starter. And we used to go, okay, this guy wants an amazing dining experience in Florence. How can we make that stupid? Now, the yeah. second you say that, and I want you to rewind this video and look at your face. The second you say, how can we make that request stupid? You smile. And you yeah. become that child and you go, oh, I don't know. Let's, let's do this and this and let's close down a museum. Let's get Andre Bocelli to come in and serenade him when he's eating his meatballs. And you become jovial about it. Not yeah. rigid, not restricted. And also, if you turn around and you go, I am going to break through the impossible. No, you're not. You just literally put a line in the sand. You've just given yourself an excuse to be able to turn around and go, ah, what was I thinking? 
that's why it's called impossible. But yeah. if you make your goals stupid, you become a child and you become creative. So the, the actual notion and the word uh, and the terminology has been around for like about 18 years within my, my life. And every time I would go for a business goal, I would go, well, okay, you know, how can I make that stupid? I want to make a hundred grand extra next year because I want to do the bathroom. Great. So how can I make that stupid? Let's go for 500 and fail and make 300. You know, so it was that kind of thing. And of course, then COVID came across and I started um, putting out blogs and articles and memes because I was getting very pissed off during COVID because people were using COVID as a reason not to communicate when quite simply social platforms have given them that excuse 10 years ago. You know, Mm -hmm. if I had a baby, I would phone up my mates and say, hey, let's come over and look at the little spog, you know. Now what you do yeah. is you have a baby, you stick a picture of it up on Facebook, and you're pissed off if you don't get it a, a million likes by the end of the day. You know? Totally. We've become totally. that kind of society where we are more connected than ever before and more disconnected. And yeah. so I started writing this, and I get easily aggravated, and I, I don't have much of a filter. And someone said to me, why don't you put this in a book? And, of course, I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not doing that. And someone said, well, you've already written half of it in the last six months with you ranting on. And I was like, you know, I have. So I got with my ghostwriter and we put Go For Stupid together because one thing I noticed that was weird, and think about it, during COVID, we couldn't connect with each other, could we? Right. And we were all screaming, oh, I just yearn to meet my friends and hang out. But what suddenly was born during COVID? The cancel culture and the gotcha society. So two yeah. toxic regimes were created during this period where we couldn't connect. It was like we were fighting and eating on ourselves to make the situation worse. Not only were we not connecting, we were now scared to say anything in case, oh, shit, maybe I'm going to trigger the wrong person, you know, and I'm right. going to get cancelled. No, oh my God, I can't. And we all went down that route. So in order to not trigger someone with what we're going to say, what do we do? We don't say anything at all. And yep. anyone that we revere today, whether it be Oprah Winfrey, Michelle Obama, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, anyone that you admire, they don't care about that. They stand up and they stand out. And we go, look at those people. Those, those are visionaries. But the second you're in a pub and you stand up to your mates and you go, do you know, I think what I can do now can make an extra milk. I think I can actually scale my business. Do you know I'm going to start a podcast? I'm going to write a book, guys. You know, you remember I went through that trauma? I'm going to write a book about it. And your mates look around and you go, you're an idiot. You know, well, what are you trying to do? And at that moment in time in your life, you're faced with two opportunities. One, you change the room you're in. You get into a room Mm. where you're challenged and you're supported. Or two, you turn around and you go, Oh, I don't know what I was thinking, guys. Sorry about that. Yeah, I must have gone mad. Someone must have spiked me whiskey. But I'm back now. I won't try that. You know, and we do that, don't we? Um, so oh, that's, that's where the whole concept came from. And, and that's a long-winded answer. I apologize, but that's where it all came from. Oh, it's so good, though, man. And, and writing a book is tough. I signed a book <sighs> publishing deal last year, and I've got the first draft of my book done. It's only like 32,000 words, but that took me forever to write and Ugh. put together, man. It's, t- it's <laughs> tough. Anyone out there that thinks anyone it's easy and anyone out there that thinks, well, I'll just knock it out in chat GPT, you're missing the point. Um, yeah, exactly. your perfection is in your imperfections. <laughs> it's, it's the kind of like the bad grammar, the, uh, the, the bad illustration, the realness of your story, your pain and your trauma and your lessons that really is going to get through and, and chat GPT can't replicate that yet. Yeah. Come on now. I loved in your book, you talked about these 
kind of these steps or keys to a successful mindset where there are successful people that are doing things that non-successful people just don't do. Mm. Like, what is it that successful people are doing that normal and the majority of people just aren't doing? So for anyone that's is their first time knowing me, I was a doorman in, in uh, well, I was a bricklayer in East London. Then I ended up in Hong Kong and I was a doorman of a shitty nightclub in Wan Chai. So I had no money, but I knew that all of my people were, had a poor mindset. And I knew for me to be successful, I had to hang around with people that at the time I thought had to be rich. Now, if you think of someone being rich, you think of the monetary aspect. So I used to speak to people and I used to go, hey, you know, Eric, um, how come you're rich and I'm not? Terrible question. Okay. They never wanted to answer it. It was, and I knew Jay Abraham once said, if you want an amazing answer, ask an amazing question. So I realized my question wasn't amazing. So I tweaked it. And I started to talk to people and I'd go, hey, Eric, how come you're wealthy and I'm not? Well, I got better answers, but it'd be things like, well, I found God, you know, and I found my wife and, you know, I've got three kids. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to join your church and marry your wife. So that doesn't help me. Um, yeah. And then I tweaked it finally to realize the success was actually what you needed to focus on. And success is a mindset. Poor, poor mindset success mindset okay yeah. and i talk a lot about poor people um because i was one so we know what they're like and they've used it's this mindset you see you yep. don't get slimmer by buying a diet book you get slimmer by action in the book you don't get richer by understanding the financial market you get richer by actually doing something about it these yeah. other things are the reactions to your action so you've got to have the action of a successful mindset and i would ask some of the most powerful people in the world how come you're successful and so many other people aren't or I'm not, you know, and I would ask that question and people would be like, well, you know, you do this, you do it. And throughout my travels and I've traveled literally around the planet. I've lived Japan, uh, Bangkok, Hong Kong, Geneva, Palm Beach. I now reside in Los Angeles. Obviously I was in London and I've traveled immensely and I've spoken and I've asked this repetitive question to see if there was a thread and there was a theme. And there is, there absolutely is. One of the big, big dictators for successful people is how they view time. They don't waste it. When they are given time, they go, okay, I can become wealthier. I can invent more things. I can become more educated, but there is nothing I can do to buy me more time. So when they get an hour, they use an hour. They populate it with action, activity, thoughts, focus. Whereas, and here's a great indicator, at the beginning of COVID, how many people literally went onto Netflix, uh, went onto Facebook and went, hey, I've binge watched Sopranos. What else can I binge watch? How else can I waste my life? Yet right. every successful person out there, and I'm going to class myself on this, was going, hey, because we all thought COVID was going to last six months. Didn't we? We thought by summer it'd be gone. I literally, yeah. once we got shut down in LA, I was like, right, I'm shut down. What can I, you know, I haven't cleaned out the attic. I haven't checked my website. I haven't run through my funnels. I haven't done. Now's a great time to, and I cleaned up. No one knew it was going to last for over two years, but I ended up with all of this clarity and it worked. Here's a little fact for you. I don't know if you heard of this. It was, it was actually written up by the BBC in, uh, in England. During COVID, there were more millionaires, more first-time millionaires registered than at any other time in history, and that number was just over 5 million. Over 5 million new first-time millionaires were registered in the worst period of our life. Yeah. 
How does that make sense? Some people saw opportunity, some people saw excuses. So a successful mindset looks, okay, I've been given an hour. What's the maximum I can do with that? How can I do that? So time, time was the first thing. You don't know, you don't know this afternoon's guaranteed. You right. don't know tomorrow's guaranteed. So what are you doing this morning? What are you doing after this call? And quite simply, after this call, just take any nugget from this conversation and action it, and I guarantee you, you'll improve. Come on. Man, that's so good. I, I think it, it was so important where you did see in COVID, people would start to binge, and then you saw the people that were the, ac the action takers that were actually implementing stuff that got to see that success come out of it. Huge. And, and for you, you, you ran events. You still do events called Speak Easy. Obviously, yeah. events, especially in California, were on hold during that time. Yeah, Your events are awesome, and, and you never duplicate them, which I think is great. You always throw in surprises. But what is it that makes Speak Easy events so unique? Look, this thing should never have should never have started. Should never have been a second one, and we're now on our like sixth or seventh year. Uh, we're in New Orleans <laughs> at the beginning of uh, November. Should never have taken off. I literally just I wanted to test my credibility, so I went on Facebook and I said, "Who wants to spend two days with me and my friends in San Diego?" And I got people going, "What date?" And I went, "Oh, I don't know. Uh, these two dates. Pay here." <laughs> and there was a PayPal link, and it was two grand. And they were like, what, I'm gonna, what am I going to get? I'm not telling you. What, who's going to be there? I'm not telling you. Because I didn't know. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we got people paying. And I remember the first guy that paid, and this is absolutely 100% true story, longtime friend of mine, and he, he bought the ticket. And I'm always a great believer in when you pay, you pay attention. Okay? So you're not paying me. You're paying you to pay attention. And yeah. so I, I phoned him up. And I, I, literally, I said, Tim, you, you've just spent two grand on an event you know nothing about. And I remember the following words. I said, what's wrong with you? And it was meant as the joke that you're taking it. But I believe our brain hears what we want it to hear. Yeah. And he, he took it as a question. And he went, that's a brilliant question, Steve. He said, I'm really having trouble with my branding at the moment. And, I'm and he told me what his problem was. Well, if someone tells you what that problem is, all you've got to do is provide it at your event. And, and it's been a solution. So I then yeah. started going through all the other people. And of course, I softened the question. I went, hey, Eric, I want to know. You've just signed up for this event. What is your problem? Well, it's funny you should ask that. I'm having trouble with social. I'm having trouble with content. I'm having trouble with scalability. I've got some legal issues. You know, they would give me their problems. And then all I had to do was look in my Rolodex, bring five or six friends along that were experts in those fields. And people literally would leave the speakeasy and go, do you know, Steve, you didn't know this, but I had that problem. And you had that. And I'm thinking, uh, don't you recall our conversation? But most people yeah. hadn't recalled that conversation and I was answering that problem. And then I thought to myself, I don't ever want to do my events in conference centers because conference centers are where creativity goes to die. So yeah. I went, okay, I'm going to change the city every time. And I've been a New York, Silicon Valley, um, Nashville, San Diego, Austin, Texas, Dallas, yeah, Arizona. I've been all over the place moving these speakeasies around. And every time we marry something into the local environment, obviously Silicon Valley was a lot of tech. Uh, Nashville was a lot of country. Hollywood was a lot of rock and roll. Um, so, you know, we always marry these kind of things into it. But every time we do the same, we top it off at 40 people and we go, hey, what is your problem? You know, if, if we could solve one thing at the end of two days, what would it be? Um, and we don't, we tell them what hotel to book. They don't even know the location of the venue until two days before the event starts. 
Come so on. it's just shrouded in mystery and they don't know who's going to turn up. They don't know what's going to learn. And it's always in these quirky kind of environments that I found like houses, penthouses, uh, dungeons, warehouses. They're always in like the weird, quirky places, but they're really, yeah. really cool. Man, it's so cool, dude. So cool. Uh, you also have this awesome community that you and your son, Henry, started the distiller, Sims Distillery. Yeah. Matt, I love this. For those who don't know about this, like, how can folks get involved? What's this distillery all about? So, Sims Distillery was born out of aggravation. I think that's how most uh, entrepreneurs work. Totally. We, we sadly, and we did it once because my wife was looking up the accounting and she was like, Do you know how much you've spent on masterminds over the last five years? And that was a, a nice house in Austin, Texas. And we were like, are you kidding? And then me and Henry sat down and Henry's joined most of the masterminds I've been part of. And we went through and we went, well, that one was good. That one was a turd. That one was a bunch of lies. That one was a lot of, hey, join my community. And then just as you're getting to the answer, hey, if you'd like to be in our platinum members club, and they would try to upsell you. And we yeah. hated it. Um, yeah. So we started going through and we were like, well, you know, what is a good one? And we're still part of three masterminds. Um, and we went, why don't we build what we want? And so we built one that not only has live events that have included in membership that you get to go to for free called the Sims Distillery Retreats, but every Tuesday, 9 till 10, we either do Toolshed Tuesday on all the tech that we're going through, the stuff that we're trying, the stuff that you as the community are trying. So it's all very interactional. And then we have hot seats. We have expert hours. We have problem potty. You know, what's your problem? Let's get you on a hot seat and go through that. You know, we brought in Cameron Hale, Jim Quick, uh, Jay Abraham, Dan Fleischman. So let's be blunt. I know people. So the yeah. people that I'm bringing in that you can actually communicate with and go, hey, I've got this problem. Now you're asking Jay Abraham or Roland Frazier, you know, the answer to it, and you're getting the answer. And we do that every single week. And we have accountability hour as well. You know, what are you working on? What are we going to hold your feet to, uh, the flames on? And how long are you going to take to do this? And then, of course, through our Slack channels, we're like, Natalie, how are you doing with that? Eric, how close are you to do that? You know, what went wrong? What nugget? Because let's be serious. We don't always hit what we want to hit. Yeah. But the education is on where the problems came along the way. So, you know, what problem popped up? Oh, great. Let's focus on that. Let's, let's do an, an hour on that to make sure that never happens again. But how it shouldn't have been happening in the first place. So mm -hmm. the community's only been around for like about three months. Um, but we literally said, look, are you pissed off with all the kind of like smoke and mirrors? Do you want a, a crowd that actually supports and challenges? Are you aggravated enough to get better? Um, excuses aren't going to pay the mortgage. So until then, join Sims Distillery. Um, and, you know, we just put that. People joined up. And it's, it's been a really cool experience so far. Man, I love it. When it comes to, like, entrepreneurs and what you're doing and coaching and building a community and doing these events there, I think people have to have standards, right? These non-negotiables. For oh, yeah. you, like, what's that non-negotiable for you on a daily basis that helps you get to where you want to be? So I learned, and that's another one of the traits I learned from successful people, they don't settle. Okay. Mm -hmm. And today we're in a settled society. I gave you the example that when you're at the coffee table and you come up with the idea, you settle, you go, Oh, sorry guys. I don't know. Yeah. You know, how many people now they go to a coffee shop and they get a coffee and the coffee's not warm or the coffee's not fresh. And you yeah. go, Oh, how's your coffee? Yeah, it's all right. Well, why are you drinking it? Yeah. You don't want to go up and complain. You don't have to be an ass. Just go up and go, Hey, sorry. You know, this is actually coffee. Not that good. Could I, could I wait until you do a fresh cup? 
When you when you just say it like that, I have never ever had anyone turn around and go, "No, sod off, you drink it." They've always gone, "Absolutely, you know, just give it a few minutes and I'll give you a fresh." Yeah. Thank you very much. Do it with you know you at McDonald's and your French fries are you know a bit cold and you go, oh, "I'm sorry, can I wait for a fresh pack?" Absolutely, you know. If you just have those standards on the smallest of things, then the big things look after themselves. I'm very famous for drinking old fashions. And yeah. if I'll go to a bar and someone will give me an old fashioned, there's a whole ton of small little kind of like ice cubes in there. And there's a whole pile of fruit in it. And it looks more like a freaking cocktail bowl than it does an old fashioned. And I'll literally just turn around and go, Hey, look, you know, thank you very much. But this isn't what I had in mind for an old fashioned. Do you mind either getting someone else or can I run you through how I have a preference and just have that standard. In fact, I was having a, um, a meeting with a client of mine. This was actually about four years ago. And he knows I like old fashions. And I was, we met him at this, this bar by an airport because he was doing a, 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 a stopover. And we get into this, but it wasn't a fantastic bar. So I'm stood there. I'm on the bike. I'm not drinking. He turns around and says, I'm going to order an old fashioned, you know, just in your honor. And I was like, ah, go for it. And it turns out loads of ice, loads of fruit. As I say, it looks like a fruit bowl. And uh, he's looking at this thing and he picks it up and he takes a sip and he puts it down. I looked at him and I went, well, and he went, Oh, you know, I don't, I don't think you'd like it. And I'm like, okay, the next five seconds is going to dictate and direct how you handle the rest of the day. If you settle here, what else are you going to settle for during the day? And therefore, what's the outcome going to be at the end of the day? Are you going to have grown or are you going to have settled? And he just turned around to the bar and said, excuse me, sir. He said, you know, this bar. And the guy turned around and said, oh, I'm sorry. It's a new bartender. He doesn't know how to make it. Let me make it. And he made it. Large ice cube, single slither of orange. It was absolutely perfect. But that guy stated and put posting his standards at that second that he wasn't going to settle. And therefore, people want those standards. They actually gravitate towards that standard. That's why people buy brands, because of the expectation of quality. Yeah. If you can expose, this is my quality, this is my standard, whether it be a guy in a black T-shirt riding motorcycles and drinking old fashions, his motorcycles are top shelf, his old fashions have to be top shelf, damn, even his black T-shirts have to be top shelf. You know, those are standards and people go, I want to live by those standards and not settle by the guys at the coffee shop. Man, man, I love that. It's so good. But how much I does wanted- it cost you? How much does it cost you just to define your standards of what you'll accept? And how many times, and everyone listening to this, how many times in your mind can you think that you've accepted the shitty table at a restaurant, a cold coffee, a shitty cocktail, bad service? And again, you don't have to be a prick, but just to raise your standards and go, excuse me, sir, madam, can we have a look at, you know, readdressing this? Or can we, can we, can we reset? Because I'd really, you just do that and you will show your standards. And again, you may not be doing business with a person in McDonald's, but you're establishing your line in the sand of what you will accept. Yeah. It's so powerful to have those standards in place, man. I wanted to say thank you for something that you talked about the last time that we chatted. And it's in your book, Blue Fishing. And I think it's a standard that you have too, is you try to write a, just a random thank you letter, whether it's a napkin at a hotel or a bar, and you send that to someone handwritten. It's unexpected. People don't expect that. And I took that approach when I was trying to get somebody on my show that I really wanted. Jesse Cole is the founder of the Savannah Bananas yeah, baseball team. Mr. Yellowman, we love him. 
Yes. And I literally have never contacted him in my life. I found out what their address is. I lasered engraved the banana logo on a piece of wood, hand wrote him a note and mailed that to the stadium and just said, Hey man, I'm sure no one else has ever asked you to be on their podcast via a handwritten note, but I'm going to give it a shot. And he sent me back a video on my phone or, you know, via phone and just said, Eric, this is amazing. Absolutely. Let's do it. And I got him on my show all because of the tactic that you shared in your book, man. So I just want to say thank you for that. But how much did it cost you? Man, it cost me $3.50 to ship it. That was about it. You know, see, that's the ridiculous stuff. The amount of times I've been in a, see, bars, bars in restaurants, not in restaurants, in hotels are fantastic because you've got yeah. the napkin and then you can go to the concierge and you can get the stationery. None of that shit's cost you anything. And all of a sudden, you write on the stationery, you just need to know I'm having a drink. I'm thinking of you. One of my classics is I write on the back of a bar tab. And I write on the back, I had several old fashions tonight, but one of those I was thinking of you, love Steve. And I'll just stick it in the hotel envelope and I will post it to someone. And they will just get this like New York hotel envelope and the curiosity. And, yeah. the and then they'll open it up and they'll be like, Sims has sent me his bar tab or he sent me a, you know, scrumpled up old kind of napkin going, hey, just needed you to know that I love you, Sims. And then they'll text me and they don't expect him. How ahead of the game do you become when that's what you do? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Absolutely. I wanted to finish the show with one question I heard you talk about in, in the Go for Stupid book. I believe if I did my research right, you and your wife have been married for about 38 years, which is yeah. awesome. Congratulations. I'm coming up on 19 years of being married to my wife. So it was interesting. I was at a restaurant a couple of days ago. My wife and I, we kind of had this argument, which was funny, but then we got to the restaurant and I think God was doing something because the guy behind the counter, just random young dude said, Hey, tell me what the key is to having a successful marriage. And I just thought, how ironic is it that we just had this argument and then we get asked this question, but for you, like what's been that successful tip that you and your wife have been able to do to have this awesome marriage? Ah, the, the downside about entrepreneurs is you like to you know, gloss over everything. You like to glorify it, romanticize it. And it's the classic, like, oh, everything's great. I've got this. Yeah. How many times has shit, shit happened when you think you've got it? Totally. Um, and so the, the big turning thing was I was being sued for something that I wasn't involved in. Literally, not even my company, but someone that I knew had mentioned my name and I got caught up in that lawsuit now wow. it got i was thrown out of it but you know if anyone knows anything about the litigious society of america is they try to grab everyone locally just to find out where they can get money so um i got wrapped up in this we got pulled out of the suit but i was going through this suit and of course i'm at home going yeah everything's fine babe no problems while well, i got my lawyers at work just trying to get me out of this suit they were having trouble it's costing me money and she just said to me what's going on and i told her she was like, why were you holding that back for me? And I was like, well, I didn't want you to worry. And she's like, don't you realize I worry when I don't know? And no problems, no problems ever really that bad when it's shared. So yeah. we literally decided at the time, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you're going to get everything. And all of a Come sudden, on. we became a team. You know, all entrepreneurs have been in a situation where on a Wednesday night, they can't pay payroll on a Friday. You know, it's coming up to mortgage and all my shit, I can't pay the mortgage on the Monday. You know, it's all, we've all been through that. But if you can turn around and go, hey, we've got a financial situation. What can we do about it? What can we reach out? What do you think we can do? And you start working between you, you're now a partnership. Uh, yeah. And that was, that was the big thing. I stopped trying to hide her, and this is going to sound rude, but I stopped trying to hide her as the wife. 
uh, and as my buddy and my wife and separate and go, hey, I, I work from home. My emotion is in this home. Therefore, you need to know what's going on with it. Um, and that was the best thing. Actually revealing. Man, so good, dude. Steve, thank you so much for just bringing so much wisdom and knowledge. I'm excited for your book. People need to go out and do it. Get it and get it for free. Go for stupid.com. They can listen to the whole yeah. thing. And the then you've got this speakeasy event coming up. And man, I'm excited. Thank you so much for taking time. You're an absolute world changer, man. I appreciate you. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much for checking out the show today. I really appreciate it. I hope that my guest was able to bring you some amazing wisdom and knowledge to help you continue to fight for your goals, your dreams, and your purpose. If you could do me one big favor and just hit that subscribe button, I would so appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. Keep changing the world. I believe in you. Have an amazing day.